Hey there, hi there, who there, podcast friends. We're all friends here, right? I could tell you guys things. You won't tell anybody else, right? We could have our own little club. It's good to know. Um, hey, everybody. Welcome to Open Mic with me, Mike Creed. Today on the podcast, Dean Golich. Dean, uh, one of the more prominent coaches uh, in cycling, uh, to you know, to obviously with cycling, but even more with women's cycling. Um, he has uh, coached Mari Holden, Allison Dunlap, Kelly Emmett, Mara Abbott, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting more. I remember back in the day, he used to coach this girl on Shackley, who I just had an incredible crush over. I can't remember her name, but I'm sure she regrets um, not making out with what was then maybe a 14-year-old, and I think she was about 20 at the time. So Carmen Richardson? I think Carmen Richardson married somebody from Specialized. And I feel like she made a mistake, and she knows it. Everybody knows it. Uh, and you know what? That's for her to live with. Uh, that seemed mean, Mike. Anyway, um, so Dean's on the podcast. He coached me for a while. I uh, coached Danny Pate for a while. He's always been there with um, some advice. Maybe not all of it great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. He's fine. You know what? I'm trying to be silly right now. I'm trying to be silly towards Dean. It's not working. I'm just going to be nice. Dean's a good guy. Um, he always helps when you need to. Uh, I remember many uh, three-hour motor pace days that he um, he's provided for me free of charge. So Dean Golich forever has a place in my heart. Today's podcast, you guys won't fucking believe who's sponsoring the podcast. This is going to blow your mind. Are you ready for it? Sit the fuck down. Carter Cyclist. Carter Cyclist is sponsoring us once again. Remember, 5% off uh, for every $20. And my math, 42.5%. It's been pointed out that my math was a little wrong this time. Recheck the figs. Short for figures. Boom. 42.5% off all purchases. Not true. But uh, go to Car Cyclist and uh, figure out the uh, the mathematics behind their uh, their little buyback sales that they're doing. Uh, what else is going on? Off seasons winding down rapidly. Uh, getting excited about team camp, being uh, a team director, and helping guide these. Uh, little soldiers of mine into uh, the most tame um, non-war war there is and that's bike racing and I, I talked to Dean a lot about that Dean's good with motivation and and uh, frame of mind and uh, you know how to get through to people and uh, I, you could by listening to the podcast you can tell that it's obviously um, at the forefront of my brain so Anyone uh, Anyone else have anything else? Is that it? Any questions? No? All right. Here's the podcast.
Where now? Don't know. I hear the big belt in the blue has beaver size of bobcat. That's so? I ain't never trapped either, but sure would like to. Jeremiah. You will do well, Dal. You will do well. You don't get in too much trouble with all that hair. Ain't this something? I told my pap and ma'am I was coming to the mountains to trap and be a mountain man. Acted like they was gut shot. Says, son, make your life go here. Here's where the peoples is. Them mountains is for animals and savages. I says, Mother Q, the Rocky Mountains is the marrow of the world. By God, I was right. Yes, you were. Which way are you headed? Canada, maybe. I hear there's land there, a man he's never seen. Keep your nose in the wind, your eyes along the skyline. I will do that, Dev. You? I ain't never seen him, but my common sense tells me the Andes is foothills. The Alps is for children to climb. Keep good care of your hair. These here is God's finest sculptures. There ain't no laws for the brave ones. And there ain't no asylums for the crazy ones. And there ain't no churches except in this right here. There ain't no priests except in the birds. Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina, music would play and Felina would whirl. Blacker than night were the eyes of Felina, wicked and evil while casting a spell. was deep for this Mexican maiden. I was in love, but in vain I could tell. One night a wild young cowboy came in, wild as the West Texas wind. Dancing and daring a drink he was sharing with wicked Felina, the girl that I love. So in a Right for the love of this maiden Down with his hand for the gun that he wore My challenge was answered in less than a heartbeat A handsome young stranger lay dead on the floor Just for a moment I stood there in silence Shocked by the foul evil deed I had done Thoughts raced through my mind as I stood there I had but one chance and that was to run Out through the back door of roses I ran Out where the horses were tied 
Back to the badlands of New Mexico Back in El Paso my life would be worthless Everything's gone in life, nothing is left It's been so long since I've seen the young maid My love is stronger than my fear of death I saddle up and away I did go Riding alone in the dark Maybe tomorrow a bullet may find me Tonight nothing's worse than this pain in my heart say about you is this oh, going no, right now yeah we're going yeah no uh <laughs> I, I think, think that says more about you than me yeah i forgot what what i was uh i was listening to or watching i can't i can't remember the source of it but i remember it really got to me once where the guy was like yeah you know and people just my you know they treat me like this and it's just not fair you know that they treat me like this and the guy goes yeah people uh are only dealing with what you give them. And you're and like, the guy's like, oh. and I remember that stuck to me. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be kind of hard to be my friend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like, just because you have a, a grand plan of, like, why you're busting somebody's balls or why you're doing it doesn't necessarily mean they're on board, on board with that. Also, yeah, when you... I think it's important... <laughs> A lot of times to, I think, maybe my dad or someone said that, it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what they think. Right. So you 
you think, oh, I've got them. Here's what I'm saying. Here's how they're interpreting it, and none of it matches. Yeah. So that that is a a very age old <laughs> debate in my head of what's more important, the intent of the message, yeah. or the reception of the message. I guess it depends on which side you're on. Is you'll probably yeah, if you're, try, if you're trying to make an intent, then fine, and that's all that matters. But if, if right, like if my intent is if I'm teasing you, my intent is to like tease you and to get you to laugh at yeah. at me saying it and get you to laugh at yourself. <laughs> is that ultimately what's important, or is that how the you make Perceive, the person feel? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I think in the end. You probably should know your audience, and it's your responsibility, right? Yeah, you can't make a lot of political jokes if, to a Republican if you're a Democrat, and a Democrat to a Republican. See, that never works. I have a, I like doing this thing, like especially on bike racers, because bike racers are mainly like leftists, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> so just if you just randomly, like, for no reason, like, they're like, they say something about the economy or whatever, and you just sit, like, under your breath, you just go, fucking liberals. <laughs> and, like, just see if they laugh or not, because you can tell who's, like, a genuinely funny person, because if they just laugh, they're like, you're like, okay, but then, I've made tables awkward before where I've said that, and they just get... Yeah, because it's too serious. Exactly. You're like, yeah. no, I was joking, I think. Oh, I have a couple of athletes that live in Boulder, and I say that all the time about hippies. Right. Well, we could start. We could do a whole podcast on the hypocrisy of Boulder. Exactly. <laughs> so, what is, is this the office until you guys relocate? No, we're already over there. Um, just this is my office. <laughs> yeah, this has been my. I mean, I always have my whole office because oh, yeah. I'm never not working. I don't uh, think. So this so. is a podcast. Nobody can see, but I see three computer screens and a TV. You have. You are maximized for stimulation. Well, yeah, it's interesting because sometimes on the weekends, so I can watch. Sure. So I have cycling. Um, what's cool in the other sports, the real sports, NASCAR, MotoGP, you can actually watch the races with live what timing and GPS. What makes those real sports? They're not. Just that they provide a source of live streaming for free to their... They have it figured out. Yeah, exactly. So I can watch the GPS of NASCAR from the point of view of the driver that I train his car. Wow. So I can watch the whole thing. Wow. So I have that going on one screen and mode it, and a lot of it occurs simultaneously. So you what need NASCAR more screen. What guy do you train? It's Carl Edwards. Carl yeah. Edwards. Yeah, he's a really good guy. He sounds like a sounds like a politician, Carl Edwards. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he he's the one who, when he wins, he does the backflip off the car. Oh right, right. But he's super fit. He's really into fitness. What kind of training is this? Well, we do a lot of heat tolerance stuff with him. Um, and he likes to ride the bicycle a lot. He just likes it. And then weight training. So it's kind of the normal stuff. But the really weird thing is, he would even say this, I think, that NASCAR, it's not that hard till you try to do it for five hours. So it's like they have fireproof underwear, fireproof suit. And then a couple, well, a lot of times, but one time in particular, I did a lot of the heat uh, measuring. Uh-huh. And at his feet, it was 140 degrees. And at his um, seat where he sits, it was 120 degrees. Jesus. So that's for four or five hours, depending on which race. 
So he explains it kind of like you're sitting in a sauna and you're trying to do some repetitive task that is somewhat technical, but yeah. over and over and over again. tactile, right. concentrated And state. you do it for five hours in a sauna. So that's right. kind of how. Pretty soon you lose either interest, concentration, or something right. else and you can't do it. Yeah, so. you're thinking about like the last thing your chick said to you and how bad that pisses you off. <laughs> yeah, she it, knows I'm racing today. Why would she send me that text? Yeah, it's interesting because every time I've talked to race car drivers, motorcycle racers, that kind of thing, I think that's their release because you can't think of anything else except for and it's except for what you're doing. And I've went in the car with them, and trust me, I wasn't thinking about any. I could have had the worst news ever, and I was not going to think about it. When you're sliding towards a wall, I, I it's so funny because he gave me what they call the ride around, and so you do a number of laps with them, and we did it in Atlanta Motor Speedway, and man, mm. it when you. You cannot explain what happens because I would have swore. Okay, so you get in the car, they start it up. He yells to someone, and you can't hear anything because the engine's so loud. Sure. He yells to someone, his assistant comes over, gives him a camera, and I'm like, whatever. So we start going off and take off in the car. What I didn't realize is that when you're going through the corner, it's not just going through a corner like on a, a bike, you, you're sliding the whole time. Yeah. So when you come out of the corner, you're actually drifting towards the wall, and then it gets grip it just, it just right there, just and then it goes. Yeah, so you're always sliding towards the wall. So the first lap, he, he's doing this, and we're sliding. You and thought then you he were starts, dead the first lap. Oh, I was so scared. <laughs> and then he starts taking pictures of my face. So you have this whole progression of my face from the first lap to the third lap. Sure. And it was... And I would have bet a million dollars that the track was, after we got going, wide enough for one car. And yeah. we did, I think, 160 or 170 miles an hour. But he said, now imagine kind of going near 180 to 200 miles an hour with cars on both sides. And there's no way, I would have bet so much money that this track's wide enough for one car. Yeah. And there's no way you could all go into the corner at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, you get out, you're, it's awesome, the feeling. Yeah. And all I want to do is do it again. And then again, and then I got another right, and you just want, pretty soon I can see how it's addicting that you'd never, you just well, want to race if, cars. Yeah, well, what other thing in life is yeah. close to that much stimulus? I want to do the wingsuit stuff, where you get the wingsuit. Did those just die? Yeah, but I, th man. He was like the head muckety champion yeah. guy, and he just yeah. slammed himself. That guy who goes through the ravine and hits the balloons? Yeah. That's awesome. I would do that in a second. So, I mean, obviously you got to progress, but I'd love to do it. I don't know what like the progression level for. Uh, well, obviously for, you for, start with the parachute. <laughs> yeah, right. But just the fact that you're like, like it, there's probably. I mean, I haven't done any research, but there's probably not like an organ nationally certified organization. No. It's just like some guy going, "Yeah, I think you're ready, dude. I think <laughs> you're looks, ready." I would. It looks awesome, though. I mean, I look at that and I think, man, I want to do that. But what if? I mean, if someone said tomorrow they would start training me on the wingsuit flying, I would do it. I'm serious. <laughs> I I think it's awesome. What about the? Uh, you can get like Red Bull to sponsor you if you just go like really high up in a fucking balloon and just fall out. Like that guy didn't do shit. He just fell out. Well, yeah, I see, I think that was more of a scientific experiment to see what 
the oxygen levels, how to do that. What What about the death the spiral, the death how to spin. get out of that? And we were watching it live, and you know they have it on delay, right? You know, because in case yeah. the guy dies, so right. they're probably like, okay, probably on 20 or 30 second delay. Yeah. And there was that moment where, you, like, yeah. the audio cut out, and it went blank for like five or six yeah, seconds. And I got up and I left the room. I was like, <laughs> fucker, die. I can't watch death. Yeah. I'm not watching death. And then he came back, and it was just a glitch, but yeah. I thought for sure he was. Yeah, see, that, that was more of a scientific experiment in communication, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So, dude, now, how many guys are you coaching now? You got... You got NASCAR. Yeah, so I have a side motor. of a motorsport. So I have. You've always done a lot of motorsports stuff. Yeah, yeah for a long time. How did you get into the whole motorsport scene? Well, I think um, originally those guys started getting into cycling, so there was a lot of crossover, and there still is. I think it's probably even more today. It's funny because just today, um, I work with Nikki Hayden for Ducati, and um, Richie Port was in his pits this weekend in Japan. Yeah, and so it's just it's just a crazy crossover where I think a lot of cyclists, especially on the elite level, are fans of cycling, and then also a lot of cyclists are fans of motorsports and that's sure. how. So years ago, there was lots of crossover, and I started working with them, and I have been really lucky, like always, is I have some really good athletes that I really like, and it's just Those continued from there. I've been surprised, like you know Ben Bostrom. Yeah, oh yeah, I know yeah, him. Ben like. Yeah, it's one of the most affable, nice. Yeah. So we worked know. with him for a number of years. I think Jim Lehman. Yeah. Coaching, but he's he's. I just saw him at Leadville. He's a really good guy. Um, there's a lot of them. so talented. Yeah, yeah. So he's talented. fit. He would. I mean, geez. we go ride with him yeah. in uh, Malibu, and you just yeah. like you. Yeah. To drop him, you yeah. really. Here's the thing with those. Like I don't know about the other guys with Bostrom though. You can drop him. Not easily, but more easily on like a two or three minute climb. You just punch it and just yeah. go. But like a 20, 30 minute climb, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting rid of him. No, he's he's really strong. He's fit. He The problem with Ben, and I've told him a million times, is he does too much. If yeah. he focused on one thing just yeah. and took his rest days, he'd be even stronger. Yeah, he's yeah, an yeah. elite athlete. There's no doubt no, He lived it. on Latigo, and Jesse and I would be training. Yep. And he would say, like, we'd text him in the morning, like, hey, we're going to go up Latigo. Do you want to... No, no, no. Like, I did this yesterday. I did that yesterday. And then, like, okay. And then, sure enough, we'd come up Latigo. He's out there waiting. Exactly. And he would finish it off. Yeah. 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 That's exactly... I don't know how many easy days you can do when you live on Latigo, can you? Yeah, I don't think he does any easy days. Because if he's not doing that, he'll go surf or race the motorcycle or... He's yeah. in Vegas now. He's an active guy, period. Like, yeah. And I mean active... Yeah. It seems like everything is like the eco challenge every day with him. He probably just has like some deep, dark demon that he can't think about. <laughs> he's just I like, don't know. He's, he's like, if nice. I take a rest, I'm just gonna I'm gonna think about that time I kicked a puppy. He's yeah, maybe he <laughs> he's is just pretty like, nice, but I don't. Maybe he's in the new Buffalo Bill, and he just doesn't. <laughs> he just doesn't seem like. How long have been working at CTS now, dude? It seems like ever since I knew you. Let's see, so 2001. 2001. What did you do before that? I don't even know. So, let's see. Um, wow. So, it's funny, think, before think you, you think, think when you had dreams and aspira aspirations. 
<laughs> oh, I still, I have the, I've never stopped, so I'm, I'm good like that. But let's see. So we, it was funny because you said um, about doing this, and I said, oh, I better listen to one of these things before. Okay, I get involved. Listen to? I just saw Jim Miller's, and so I just listened to the beginning, and I was like, dang, his whole music intro and John Wayne and yeah. country voice, I was like, that should have been my intro. This is not <laughs> right. And so it's funny because, so we'll go to 94. I guess we can start at 94. So before that, Jim and I were roommates at University of Wyoming. So then we came down to do some studies and we were doing a study on overtraining with Dave Martin. And so that was through the U.S. Olympic Training Center. Dave yeah. Martin is the head physiologist at the Australian Institute of Sport now. And you, and you were always like, you were a cyclist at this point? Yeah, so yeah. I raced before, and that was more like Vitamin Cottage. And sure. That kind of thing. So I think Jim was on the team, Dirk Friel, myself, and then there was others. That sure. It's kind of funny. Now that you look back on it, and yeah, between Jim and Dirk and myself and... I was just ending it while they were still trying to right. keep, but Jim, Jim and Dirk are actually much better than I was. So um, that's what they told me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, then they were right. So <laughs> see, now I'm old enough to admit. <laughs> yeah, right. If it was like ten years ago, I'd be like, but I beat him in these races. You know, my uh, favorite Dirk Friel story is um, they used to. I think they still have this race. It's uh, the Hayuentes Classic. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I did that. I raced. Yeah. It. Yeah. So I did it one year um, where Pate and I we were on motorcycles. I think yeah. I was seventeen. Pate was nineteen, yeah. and we were amateur. But the and the high, this race was amateur yeah. only. Yeah. It was an amateur race. Yeah. It's a hard race too. But Dirk and Jim showed up not knowing it was an amateur only, and the the organizer was like, "All right, look." I'll let you guys race, but it's not for any prize money, and I think it, was, it wasn't for any prize money, and maybe, like, if they got first overall or second overall, then the guy would kick them back their entry fee. Some yeah. shit like this, right? Yeah. So, it was basically, like, Danny Pate and I fighting Jim Miller and, yeah. and Dirk. Dirk, yeah. And, uh... It all basically came down to like the time trial in the middle of the race, right? Yeah. And you know, when I was seventeen, I was just all about time trial. I love time trial. Right. So I go in and I forget what my time was, right? But like I come in, I ask Danny like how to go. Danny says, "Let's say Danny said seventeen minutes twenty seconds." Right. And I was like, "Oh, well, okay. Well, I did like sixteen fifty. And he's like, "Oh, wow, man, that's a really good ride." And I'm like, "Yeah, okay," and not like. Ten seconds later, Dirk Friel comes up and he goes, because uh, you know Danny was normally better in time trials, so you go, so you just meet and ask Danny first. He's like, right. so how'd you go, Danny? Danny's like, oh, seventeen twenty, not great, not bad. He's like, yeah. how about you, Dirk? Dirk's like, set the course record, man, seventeen oh five. And Pate's like, <laughs> Pate just grins like big toothy grin. He's like, wow, that's amazing. That's a course record, huh? <laughs> Dirk's like, yep, course record, really going for today. Have to try to get my entry feedback. And he's like, that's a shame. Creed, what was your time again? <laughs> See, that's a, that's a Danny pay. Um, someone explained this to me the other day. That when you talk to someone, there's certain people that 
you talk to him and you think about it and then you go away two hours later and you realize you got set up yeah exactly (laughs) on all kinds of things did he make me really think about this did he motivate me did he and that's danny pate because every time you walk away you're like huh was he trying to teach me something and i just realized it or he set me up exactly (laughs) that's why i like him it's the worst kind of mocking out is when You're not let in on the joke yeah. until months right. later. But of your own, it was your own demise. You set yourself up yeah, for it. Exactly. Because yeah. whether you, your ego was getting involved, Danny's really good at straightening that out in right. a nice way right. that you realize later when he's not around. So It's all a defense mechanism. You know who else was racing that? Steve Johnson. Because Steve Johnson used to race it in the Masters. Oh, and he'd really? race with the pro or the one, two, you know, when it was the amateur. Because I, I raced against race him, year. and he would always do really good on the climbs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. So that's, I, I'm sure Jim and I and Steve Johnson all raced that at the same, because he was in Utah. So yeah, at the University of Utah. Like, Utah to yeah. Idaho or something? To shit? Wyoming. To Wyoming. Yeah. That's what it so was, you yeah. had to go over the the pass. It's the sim- I think it's almost the same climb that they do in the tour of Utah. And oh, then yeah? they just come back around. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. yeah. The Hiu oh, what's the I name? So Wasatch Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a horrendous long stage and climb, but yeah. In the wind and yeah. I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty stupid. So yeah. you... So that was 94, and I'd stopped racing and started... What made you want to get into coaching? Well, I didn't. I didn't want to get into coaching at all. I wanted to... It was all science and physiology, so that's what I did. I started... So Dave Martin, we came down here, did a study. I was just doing my physiology, um, going to do the mat, my master's work, and... All that, and I had just tons of great people, you know, Ed Burke, David Martin, and all those people around, so I was doing that, and then I got an internship with USA Cycling, and that's a funny thing, too, because I think I called Uli, and he said, yeah, we got to get you guys some SRMs, and at that time, obviously, they weren't near the technology they are today. And, and I even had a, then they were still pretty exclusive. And the fact that someone had a laptop, I had a laptop, but it was a Mac, and I had to do DOS, so I had to get a whole nother laptop and check it out from the how USOC. Much, how much did you pay for it? I did. I checked oh. it out through Sports Science and Technology. I, I JT Kearney and still Randy Wilbur, all those guys at USA, USOC. I checked it out, loaded a disc, and I still, this is, man, this is a long time ago. I loaded a disc. Got in a Jeep with one of the mechanics, Dave Pitts, and we drove from here to uh, Tour de Pont. So Wilmington, Delaware, or somewhere like that. And I learned SRM on the way. Mm-hmm. So I learned DOS on the way. I learned um, how to calibrate them. We had to uh, attach them, and at that time they didn't really they work. Like They weren't really friendly. waterproof. They weren't user-friendly. And I was stressed out because Chris Carmichael had said, hey, you got to have this ready to go by the time we get there. You know, not the sure. normal pressure that you get all the time now. So that was like where you came into Carmichael. Yeah. Well, that's where I had met Chris. And so I was working at the, you know, as an intern. And then later I got a job as a physiologist for there. And then I just continued on with it. So then I wasn't coaching still. I didn't want to coach. I, I thought coaching was, I don't know. Goofy. I think I remember you telling me that before. Yeah. I oh, for sure. I still think coaching's weird. What do you think it's weird about? Um, well, I've learned that none of 
the science or any of that matters if you can't get it across to the person. Sure. So now it's a human um, interaction, and that part actually is what I like the most, but it's still weird that you can say, okay, here's your aerodynamic frontal surface area or your CDA, sure. and then that's it. That's how not much, it. That's not even yeah. close to it. If you had a so. pie chart and said, like, okay, how much is actually prescribing training how much is uh, motivational uh, pep talk? Like, word, like finding word economy to be motivational and to the point and also like psychiatrist. Like, what does that pie chart look like? Yeah, so I think it's probably a good 95% of genetics. So if you have really good genetics, then you're 95% of the way there. But that depends on if you're 18 or if you're third. All right, I had to do a quick pause because the battery died. <laughs> but we were talking. I'm not sure where we left off, and I'm too lazy to go back and look. But the last we were talking about how you <clears throat> combine all the variables with your training, and then we were talking about you were you got into overloading somebody on purpose, and I was saying how you couldn't even really when you're talking about doing two grand tours, how like a, uh, a team like Sky who's so. Uh, physiologic like they're science-based they, they can't even figure out how to get somebody to go for two grand tours in a row yeah and so there's a lot of smart people out there and now that we've progressed so much in the training and monitoring and uh some of the metrics of it i guess is what you call it yeah is that i've tested people over and over i mean 10 years and you periodize their training, they improve, and now, after a while, it gets to the point, can you get them to their highest fitness at the right time? And that's still really hard, even to someone, and I think it's, it's not luck, but I know how hard it is to do that, let alone for, it's all the other variables. I generally feel like you can get someone within 99% of their fitness, but that's no crashes, no sickness, no eating the wrong thing. It's all those other variables that you're trying to control. The training side of it, I think, so when I read these news groups, there's a lot of smart people on there. And they go down to the very minuscule level on one little topic, which is good. But it's, it negates so many of the other things sure. of where the failure is that I think they need to take the minuscule levels, put them all together for a holistic approach, and then you're fine. But that's what I see. That's the error that I always see on the internet, <laughs> the worldwide net web, and oh. the news groups is that, yeah, your TSS score is this, but that doesn't account for stress level sure. in your personal life. or so, And you have to take all that into account. And I guess they always say that that's the art of coaching, but I try to stay away from that. I try to get some finite things that I can keep going back to or else then you get lost. And that's what I think the a number of issues in coaching are is that people get lost so often they don't know where they are. Like and analysis, paralysis? Yeah, well, I think they get lost in that they didn't have a real formulated plan and they didn't practice it a whole bunch of times through insecurity or sickness or something happened and it's discipline it's monotonous and it's discipline to say okay you're gonna go out and do three 20-minute intervals and you're gonna do it again tomorrow and you're gonna do it next week and we're gonna do that for five years 
Yeah. No one wants to do that. And yeah. so, but you got to get people to do that, to know, does the training work, to get the monotony, to get the results, to, sure. and so then they keep getting, okay, I'm going to do 315s today, or I'm going to do two tens, or I'm just going to ride today. And so then pretty soon you disassociate from your plan and now you don't know what worked or what didn't. Yeah. No, I definitely noticed that like in the last few years where like when I was younger, I liked training like a robot. Like, cause it felt like I was doing something like extreme, you know, like. like <laughs> yeah. Training like a robot with diet Coke and gummy bears. Yeah. Right. Right. right talk right. about that. <laughs> it's been brought up a couple of times. Uh, I think doing something like crazy was it was always the fun part, and then as you get older, you're just kind of like, I I'm just forcing myself to get out the door, man. Like I, the last thing I'm gonna do is ride like a robot. I'm just gonna ride wherever I want and for how long and I want until I just kind of decide I want to go home. I think, yeah, I've run into when people say that someone overtrained or got burnt out because of those things. I don't know if it's the case. I think a lot of times you come, I, I think it'd be the same as if you, from what I've seen, whether it's motorsports or you, I've trained a lot of people that are really great at business and it's, you come to the realization of what it takes to succeed and you're just not willing to do it anymore. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Like in the, in the, uh, you're just not willing to pay the price of, it doesn't matter that much to you. It's easy to suffer on the way up when you just keep getting reinforced and reinforced. And I, I've, I think I've learned that more over the last, I'd say, five years by branching out into these other sports. Because what I've realized is everyone's the same. It doesn't. People like to separate endurance athletes do this or Ironman athletes do this or if you have an Olympic medal, you do this. I learned this most recently in the last five years because I started working in hockey, ice hockey, and their traditions are like cycling traditions. So it's okay to get your teeth knocked out. That's yeah. no problem. You get back in the game. Sure. It's okay to get stitches. It's okay to fight. It's okay to do all these things. In fact, it's normal and no one thinks one thing about it. Sure. But if you said afterwards, we don't, we're going to eat pizza and you want to change that to say we're going to do a more of a carbohydrate-based, a professional nutrition? No, 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 no. Wait a second. We always travel to Buffalo. We do Buffalo wings there. Sure. That's what's on the bus and the airplane. That's what we do. We're not changing that yeah. for performance. And so that's and it's the same thing in cycling for years and years. Oh, I'm not going to use those arrow bars, or I'm not going to go to the wind tunnel. And you had all these guys that where I would say had a big advantage of being in Europe with their tradition, but a bad, from tradition, the bad outcome is they didn't want to change. And now I've realized that everyone's the same. And these traditions pull you through, and also they well, hold you back. Yeah, I mean, I think people don't, I think there's almost like this false bravado behind not looking at small details. You know, like, I had a teammate, uh, Marsh Cooper, he said to me, not this year, a couple of years ago, we were, we, uh, were seeing something about, like, uh, Wiggins and Sky and, like, all the small things they do, and it was the most honest 
thing I had heard, because everybody thinks like, oh, that's really cool, they're doing it, that's stupid, they're doing it, whatever. And Marsh says, I just hope they fail. I really hope <laughs> Sky fails. And it was such a weird response. I go, why? Well, why do you hope that they fail? There's teams putting so much investment yeah. into the small things. Yeah. Why do you hope it fails? Because like, if they succeed, then I'm yeah, going to have to do it. Do it. Yeah. And it was like the most genuine, like, yeah. I, so I think when somebody... When you see that false bravado of like, oh, you're going to wear a skin suit or, yeah. oh, what are you, gluten-free? Like yeah. this false like masculinity. Yeah. I think it's really like, I don't want to do it and I just, I'm holding on to this last thing. Don't make me. Yeah. And it's funny because you, you'll you get the guy who does everything wrong and he wins that day just because he has so much strength or he yeah. had a good day and everyone had a bad day or right. however it works. Yeah. But in the end, that's sport now. Because that's life. I mean, if you want to be the best stockbroker, you got to, it's getting more and more advanced. And so is sport. I mean, when I look at NASCAR and this, the amount of time they spend in the wind tunnel and all the details, you, you, that's what's so funny is that um, stereotype of NASCAR. And yeah, then you yeah, go there yeah, yeah, yeah. and you actually see how many engineers and you see what those guys yeah. are training. No, I went to that one in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, so we were doing our, the rider wind tunnel, and then they're like, "Hey, do you want me to ask?" I forgot what team was there. Yeah. Do you want me to ask if the, if they'll let you watch? Yeah. I'm like, sure. So they ask. They say, "Yeah, they can come inside for like three or four minutes." Yeah. So we go inside, and the car's just running, and yeah. it doesn't look like it's doing anything. Yeah. And the guys are just standing. There like, how long have you been doing this? Like three hours, and you don't see any changes. Yeah. It's just a car, yeah. and they're just. It's everything in sport now because of the money. Well, I think it's because of the money. You It progresses and progresses to where it's these small details. And it's the same thing when you try to pre if it, predict outcome. Like we were just going to say, you do training, you predict outcome and something's going to happen. And that's what makes me laugh about all the, um, I don't know what you'd call it lately, is that sure. trying to justify how someone did this or someone did that. I can't even control... Yeah. What, what the power of one of my athletes on one ride is, let alone that is in a the race. difference, though, right? So. Is in motorsports, is like they have repeatable predictors. They try, but then it gets finite too. So yeah. then you go to this one next detail and this next detail, and where I mean, it gets so advanced. They're not engineers for no reason. Sure. So they're all, in, and you don't hire another engineer for no reason. That guy starts working on this project, and we're, I mean. When they, the weighting of the cars and it's just it's exact same as cycling. It's just a different sport, right? And it's yeah. the same in hockey. When you see see what the, their sticks and carbon fiber sticks yeah. and how they sharpen their skates, it's all it's just a different mode, but it's still the exact. You know what's my thing. favorite stuff with that though is like, is whoever is winning in the current time and place yeah. sets a trend. Yeah, and it could be a a, a valueless trend. Yeah. But if that person is winning, that's like uh, when Wiggins won with the O-symmetric yeah. rings. Yep. Yeah. Like, how it's, everybody, Bobby Julek rode them, yeah. everybody laughed at Bobby Julek. Yep. Yeah. Wiggins rides them, people yeah. start going, you know, yeah. I fucking think that Wiggins might be onto something. Yeah. So and make that's, a little bit more sense. That's why you need to make sure you have some science and so you don't get lost, so you don't switch over to something that may or may not work for you. And then you actually have to go out and test it yourself and make sure in a really controlled setting. And that's why some of it has already been done. And that's what I wish in cycling 
and really in triathlon and a lot of the other um, endurance sports, it, a lot of it has been tested and done. What's and the most annoying trend in cycling that you have to answer to? Well, I wouldn't say the, the, the uh, how should I put this? The non-symmetric rings would be high up there. They're pretty. Yeah, yeah. that just... Um, okay, I, so I'm, I'll play the part of the athlete. You play the <laughs> golf. Like, hey, Dean, uh, I saw this, uh, these things, these uh, rotor rings. Do you know about rotor rings? Why don't we focus, before we get too far into this, why don't we just focus on you getting well, I good just on, bought a pair. I just right, said, okay, right, right, put right. them on. Why don't we just focus on you riding round rings I'm and getting you money. Why aren't you answering my questions? I am answering it. And this is exactly how it goes, by the way. Why don't you just focus on getting good and doing your normal training on your round rings, and then we'll worry about that down the road. But do you think the rotor rings are good? I, like I said, let's just focus on this. You're, you're asking about something. We should just air up your tires and go get some real fundamental training in. You're fired. <laughs> that's, <laughs> thank you. So That's kind of how it works. Is that you, and that's the... There's training right there. There's my philosophy. The fundamentals of training, sure. and then you go forward. If you're a badass, you're going to be a badass. Yeah. And if you're tough, you're going to be tough. Yeah. And that, so either you got to be genetically a badass, or you got to be really tough. So you got to develop those two things. It's how, that simple. How often are you the one who has to, like, uh, tell somebody, and instead of you fire, getting fired by an athlete, that you're effectively firing an athlete where you're like, you know what, man, we can't do this. I'd never do that. I always, if their goals are maybe unrealistic, I don't care. Sure. Because I would rather them fight to the bitter end if that's what they want to do. But you never had like a, an athlete be so annoying and needy and demanding that you're like, you know what, this is not going to really... Not very often, and if so, I can't remember. I have great athletes. I've been really, really lucky. And I don't know if that's from me kind of picking them and, and have I've been lucky. That's yeah. what it is. That I, I would rather have that, like we said before, you generally realize what you're going to have to do and you're not willing to do it anymore. So it rarely is it, I would never quit on my side. Yeah. So I would never say, because you don't know. Someone, if, is one good result enough? Is 10 good results? Is it an Olympic medal? Is it this? I mean, and say, for example, during the last era, if you decided that you got third in a classic, that may have been mm -hmm. like the world champion, all things being equal. So sure. you got to just keep fighting and see what you can do. And in the end, maybe that personal result is more important than someone giving you the one that everyone sees, whether it's a rainbow jersey or an Olympic medal or something like that. So. Right. I fight to the bitter end. <laughs> no, man, you do have these, like, sometimes your best result is something that's not, you can't put up on a mantle. Correct. No so. one sees it. And that's the same with training that I think when you try to explain, most of the general public will see something that is the end result of all the things that I like in coaching, which is, it, you know, Peyton Highway here in Colorado Springs. So whether it has been Mari or Allison or other people that have, you know, world championships, Olympic medals, I've seen them all fall apart out there. 
And that's why I do, I mean, fall apart mentally, fall apart physically, fall mm -hmm. apart, never want to get back on the bike again. And those are the things that meant the most to me in coaching. And you saw that, not the end result, that whether they got a world championship mm -hmm. or, because you have to get through a million of those before you get one of the other accolades yeah. that no one sees. And that's why when someone says they suffered and they did this or they did that, they may very well have, but I've seen it with the athletes and that's why I coach. That's why I like it now. So. What was the first, so when did the idea of coaching get presented to you? So um, when, so Henny Top was the national team coach and I was doing the physiology and I was doing some with Roy Nickman with the national team and just whoever, because they were focused more on the elite side of things, the other, the rest of USA Cycling, so Chris Carmichael, all that part of it. And so they were giving me all kinds of athletes that were either developmental or not as important. And so they said, oh, go ahead and do some of your training or testing or whatever, and that's how it started. So pretty soon I was doing it because I was a testing. A lot with the women. Yeah, yeah, a lot with the women. And the women was not by design, and everyone has asked me that now because... It seems like when you look at the results of the athletes I've trained, there's a lot of women that have a lot of medals, but you know how hard it is in men. I have a guy that I coach on Radio Shack who's he's just a quality guy, and he's a, he's a good guy, but he's lost twice to Philippe Javert in the Belgian Time Trial Championships just by like 10 or 15. Who's this? Uh, ben Hermans. Yeah. And he, he's awesome. And some of the results, back to what we were saying, I think he was top 10 in the hardest stage in the Giro. And this year, one of the, something you'll never see on the results is yeah. that he worked for Horner the whole, yeah. you know, Vuelta, yeah. and just killed himself. And that's what really matters. And that's how that and coaching is all pristine. Yeah, he's going to go to BMC. Yeah. yeah, and Horner's going to a different team, so it's like it doesn't even matter sometimes with small results. Yeah, and then you don't get credit, you don't get your UCI points, so you don't get paid. But that's, I mean, that's life. Yeah. So you you don't bitch. I've that, noticed that's, that's like normal. Just being like that's being a cyclist. Unless you're going to do the winner, yeah. be the winner, then that's what you get until you are the winner, and you have to pay your dues. And that's what we were talking about when you see. I've been lucky because women, women's racing, the money wasn't that important. Yeah. Because you didn't get any. Yeah. And so it was a real, um, just a real basic part. You race the bike, you win, you suffer, you lose, and that's it. There wasn't, you got to work for this guy so much because the, the women's depth wasn't, the top 20 was, re it's really or hard. Even, within, even yeah. within your own team, there was... Yeah. Unless you were on a Saturn, yeah, there probably exactly. wasn't a lot of depth. Yeah, but you could ride your own race against them. They were working for one girl, but you could still get in there and race, and that's kind of what Mari did the time and Allison. And they weren't even on teams when they won a lot of the state, the overall right. stage races. Right. So I, that's why I like women's racing. So it's lucked out. There was no design to it. I don't know why the women are successful or that I've worked with Was them. it weird, like, when you're... So you're coaching Mari. Yep. She wins a world title. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of see like, okay, she got like the top of whatever the women, she got as far as women yep. could go, but did yep. you see like how weirdly limit, limited that was in women's cycling at the time? No, because I knew what it was. You, mean, you knew it was coming. Well, no, you, you it's this tomorrow if I decide to um, 
compete in a marble competition, I know how much money I'm going to get paid. I'm not all of a sudden going to think that I should be getting <laughs> paid a million dollars. women's like in a marble race. I love it. It's true. No. If you yeah. know how much money you're going to make. You can't prior, think. Yeah. You can't think. You have to. Yeah, I get, I get what you I did a, just did a talk for uh, USA Cycling because Mari was doing a developmental camp and Allison came and I was going to do this whole talk on training. And say, okay, here's what we've done. Here's why, as a woman, look at this, look at that. And in the end, I thought, you know what? None of this even matters. I'm going to tell them what they're going to have to go through to mm. actually succeed. As, and hopefully that will help them more than saying do 3 by 20 intervals. So sure. I'm going to say, okay, here's Mari's career. Here's Allison's career. I, there's another girl I trained who got a, a bronze medal in the triathlon in the Olympics in London. And went back through her career. I said, here's three athletes that I worked with. And here's what they had to go through. Here's what you're up against. Yeah. And you you got to know you're not going to get paid. And yeah. you got to know you're going to suffer. You're going to have all the same problems that the men do, except without the money. With less cash, yeah. And even in men's, it's not like it's... Yeah. I mean, what? how many well-paid... Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, but at least... Yeah, to get to the level... It's equally hard. Once you're at that level, it still continues to be hard for women. And they're not going to keep you on the team if you're injured. If you all of a sudden you get tendonitis and you're out for six months, on the men's team they may give you some mental stress, but you're getting paid. On the women, they'll a lot of times just go, oh, well, yeah, sorry, we didn't pay you? Oh, yeah. the sponsor or something. You know, so pretty soon you're not getting paid. and. They don't care about you anymore, and there's a little bit of that in men's racing too. But if you're a it's star, because there's so few women's team that they yeah. can, aff like yeah. they don't have to worry about getting a bad name. No, because no, exactly. And half the women, a lot of times with the teams, they do lose the sponsors, and so they don't get paid. But like I said, I think you kind of it doesn't make it right, but that's kind of how it is. So you know that going into it, if you're going, and that's one of the things that I did as I took a manager, not to be disparaging against the manager at 7-Eleven, sure. but I said, here's a clerk at 7-Eleven, and you do this for 10 years. So I took Mari's career and Allison's and the girl Aaron Densham's career for 10 years, and here's what you get paid for 10 years. You would have made more money if you worked at 7-Eleven, assuming you graduated yourself to manager for the last four years of your 10-year sure. career at 7-Eleven. Sure. So... So when you look at that, and I think when people understand that, then you're not doing it for money anymore. And I think that's why yeah, women's yeah. racing is awesome, because a lot of them don't do it. And they think, and I can understand, that it's really terrible that they don't get paid and they can't earn a living. But I'd also say there's a big negative part that there's they're underestimating yeah. that's on the men's side, that's in uh, hockey, that's in motorsports where those guys get paid a ton of money, but you have a whole different set of problems to deal with. And everyone says, yeah, I can deal with it if I had that much money, but it's not no. necessarily true. The amount of the amount of cyclists who do it for the money, I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I got like off the top of my head, Chris Horner, Fabian Cancellara. You know, like, yeah. I mean, I think even Chris Froome does it because he wants to win the Tour de France. Yeah. No, but, I mean, like, I think when you get to that level, that very small club of guys who are making yeah. six figures, yeah. I think it's... 
Because, yeah, let's say you have, let's say we have 4,000 registered professional male cyclists. How many of those guys, of those 4,000, are making above 60K? Not very. So I, I think, yeah. I think, and then you only start really thinking about doing it for more money when you probably get above 150, 200. Yeah. So I, I mean, well, I, I, I mean I, 150 is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but but I still I still think the guy who's doing it for 150k is never doing it for the money. Well, I, I think you're doing it because yeah. You, well, it's pretty hard to just do it that, but when you don't have another option, which you, we sure. all know those guys that I still think that that that's a lot of money for the the rest of the world. And I think so. I think you just do it to. But then I like think you I do it to get better at races, though. Like you, you. Well, you have a competitive side, but there's a lot of competitive. There's competitive people in stockbroking. There's competitive people in yeah, the but, motorsports. And like I said, what I, you get away, you get so much more politics and different stresses, and when the, there's tons of money. And I would tell the women, which I've told the women that I deal with, is that. Look at the positive, which is, I know it's hard. I'm not saying that, but look at the right. positives of not having all this BS politics and drama that's involved that you don't see, yeah. that's not out front yeah. by not having the money. And you still get a chance to get your medal. You still get a chance to get your world championship. You, I look at it as an investment. No one has a problem with going to medical school and paying $120,000 to get a, a you know, whether it's a PhD or an MD, but a lot of people have a problem with, you know, spending 120000 to get an Olympic medal if they want to really... Yeah. So who cares? I'm for it. Go for it. If you want to do it, I, yeah. I say go to the bitter end, find out and suffer and do it. I'll right. support anyone to do that with everything I got. So. I mean, you got a lot of nice red Ferrari hats and everything. I've never known you not to wear a Ferrari hat. So, the reason they always ask me that, and now I've started working in a. So, for those who don't know, Dean, characteristic. <laughs> we'll go characteristic. Dean is the red hat. Red hat, normally Ferrari. So, years ago, when I used to get my um, follically challenged head sunburnt a lot. Is that I? Um, so I would be at one team sponsored by Ford, at one team sponsored by this GT, and then I go work for the next team because I was more hired as a consultant for all these different teams and everything else. So right now, it, it just happened last week. So I went and I work with the Edmonton Oilers hockey team, and they're like, "Dean, you got to put an Edmonton Oilers hockey," and I'm like, "This one is broken." And so when I go to Ford, they don't care about Ferrari. When I go to Honda, they don't care about Ferrari. So it became a universal hat that I could wear anywhere and no sponsor would be upset with it. Sure. So that's how it's all. And so people then joked about it like you are. And so now I get all these Ferrari hats sent in the mail. Really? It's, oh, yeah. My athletes get them when they go to Europe. They come back You're with like, Ferrari Remember hat. how Fred Durst for a while did the red hat on both backwards? You're Fred Do not ever compare me to Fred Durst. <laughs> Please. I feel like I just did. I think so, and that's why I'm saying don't do that. <laughs> that's the first conflict in this podcast. Oh, you yeah. know what? My one of my favorite Dean Gold <laughs> Fred stories. 
favorite one of my friend, favorite Dean Goller stories is is uh I was moving into the house on Falkirk, the house I'm at now. And I was like, Hey Dean, like uh moving, like having you know, like when you're trying to coerce friends into helping you move into a house. You say like, Ah, oh, I got pizza, man, I got pizza and beer or whatever and you're like, Yeah, alright, yeah, whatever. So we had like maybe like I think Layman was over there, whoever, Gillespie, a couple other people, uh, maybe Herrera's. And uh, you pulled up a half an hour like late, like like we were just finishing up. You pulled up a half an hour late, you looked out, you talked for a while, and then you just drove off. You never even got out of the car. Are you moving in? Yeah. I don't even remember that. Oh, I Was remember. I supposed to help you like lift stuff? <laughs> yeah, that's how you move oh. into places. Oh, I thought it was for see. There's a coach. You don't act. You ride on the backs of other people's success. This, see, this is funny. When you talk about athletes, their success, they rode the bike. You didn't do a damn thing, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, see. So I was there coaching. I was saying. I think you awesome. just. I think you just supervised to make sure everything was. Hey, because you couldn't trust any of the people you just mentioned. It's true. They're I had to jerks. watch Layman and Gillespie and Herrera's and of course, I don't remember that. I remember because I was dying laughing. Like I didn't. I didn't even catch it until I walked back. Did in the I house. eat any pizza or did you I? Did, you didn't. No. See, I wouldn't have done. So that. fair enough. You didn't ask for a slice. No. But I do remember. Like I didn't catch it until I walked back into the house, and I'm like. That cockfuck didn't even get out of the car. <laughs> That's a... Yeah, no, I don't... I, yeah. Hmm. Also, too, like how we'd go training. We used to do the sun, the Saturday rides. Yep. And you would follow yep. in the in the Merc. That's the you'd, only car I had. You'd follow in the Merc, and it was just so funny because it was, it was white. Yep. It was, it was a very... Uh, it's Miracle Whip. It's a, it was very, like... You know, like, it's either really old white person yep. or a gangster rapper. And you couldn't really figure out. But it was, instead, so it was Dean. And then you were following around Mari. So it was yep. perfect because, like, yep. if you didn't know the situation, it would look like this guy was just being a creep. Yeah. Just following around Mari. I, because um, I had, so, Mari and Allison, Kim Anderson, Kelly, Emmett, they were all in it. So I'd follow this group rides. It's perfect. There's no way I was going to keep up. So I was like, this is a perfect situation. I got to see everything. Sure. And then besides that, I got to have Fred Veach hang on every now and again oh, yeah. and talk to me. And, that, yeah. and you know what happened, though, is back to our suffering comments is that people started thinking, well, Dean will give me a ride if something bad happens. Oh, no, you started so giving people, rides? Yeah. So finally, at the end, I was like, no. You're, I'll, I'll make sure you get home, but I'm not taking your ass home. Would you just, the thing to do would then would be to like pass, had pass a, them at the bottom of the climb. Well, I did a lot of things, but I would give them tubes. Like if I I'd started carrying a couple extra tubes, oh, I have to, you have to get, no, here's another tube. Have a good day. Nice. Because, I mean, pretty soon it got to be depending, on, which is fine. I mean, right. that's, that's of all the things that are. It was. I just wanted to make sure that they suffered on those rides, especially when the girls were going hard. So, and then there's other times I did ride because I'd have to. I knew always to sit I on you your wheel. Riding them for a while. Yeah, yeah, I had to sit on your wheel or Danny's wheel. So talk about funny stories. My funny story of you. See, because the funny things always include the both of you, right? Right. You and Danny. Right. 
But when you lived across the street from the Olympic Training Center, and I remember Chris going, hey, listen, these guys are really talented. We've got to do whatever you can. So just go check on them, support them, oh, do whatever man, you so can. Terrified. If they're going out for a ride, and just make sure that those, because, uh, I mean, they're really talented. We don't have the resources to give them. And Chris God. is always concerned with you. You go, this is our next generation. My and shoulders I, are so tight right now about what you came across. Yeah, and then I come across the street. What do you guys do? Oh, I think we're going to go ride four or five hours. Why four or five? I don't know. Well, it's sunny. <laughs> okay. So, what? Well, we're both trying to lose weight. Don't you think we're a little heavy? We heard Chan and Freddie, and then we're at like 2.8% body fat. I know mine is at least 3.5. I need to be down some more. All right, all right. So, we figure if it's Diet Coke, there's no calories there. Fair enough. Fit. Good logic. And I was like, okay. Yeah, it's got a little caffeine in it. And gummy bears. So between, right. that's going to balance out the gummy bears. And Danny would sit there with no communication strategy whatsoever, just a bag going, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, guys, that probably isn't the best nutrition. No, it's been working out fine. Dude. And then the next day I come back, hey, why don't today you eat a, no, that Coke gummy bears, we need to get down to that. You don't even know. You don't know what those guys are doing, Dean. They, I mean, they get down to 2.8 and they're working so hard. You don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, man. I still don't know. Diet Coke and gummy bears. Dude, that lasted us a while. I know. It wasn't one or two days. It was almost like a two-month project. Oh, man. I think that might have been a couple years. <laughs> I, it's only two months of what I saw. I think... I still don't know how much of that we really believed and how much of it was <laughs> You believed with it people. enough to do it. No, no, I saw it. Yeah, I no, saw no, 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 no. But there was definitely an element of we enjoyed that nobody supported it and we enjoyed fucking with Yeah, people. which you did that with everything. Yeah. Right? I, so you were always fighting the man. And in the end, you, it's just you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and now I am right? the man. Now yeah, I'm exactly, the team director. Yeah, exactly. See, yeah. so you don't, you don't. Uh, who, who in the end do they hurt? When you're fighting the man, that's why yeah. training women is so much better. They don't fight. Women the man. are more open to ideas, and no, respect. it's not about ideas. They'll do whatever it takes to make them better. Them, not someone else. Not well, what I mean, crew. they're more open to ideas and more open to suggestions of like what will make them better and learning. Whereas guys. I think with guys like Kate and I come out of the womb with a fuck you attitude. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. You're fighting the man in the end. The man is you. You know? Oh, it's, it's rough now, man. Like, I never... I, I'm team director, and I get emails that, the fact that, that blow my mind up. And I, the reason they fuck me up is twofold. They're so fucking stupid. I'm like, why would a, a grown man, a man who lives on his own, send me this? This is, re like, I'm going to have a slight meltdown. So it's like the I start to recover thing. and I realize that I've probably sent this fucking email more than once. It's the parent thing, right? So you, you are now have kids that are just like you. Because that's yeah. your punishment. Yeah. The fact that you chose your own punishment by being a director... Yeah. 
I mean, you keep fighting the man. <laughs> here's, here's a good, great example. Uh, I so we're, we're getting ready for Tour of Alberta, and uh, so this team smart stop. They've never done a medalist race before. This is their first medalist race. Yep. Tour of Alberta. Uh, okay, you're scanning through the roster. You know, a bunch of uh, strong guys, but definitely out of depth in some scenarios. But you have this one guy who's really good at this. And so I, so I set this guy aside two months ahead of time. And I'm like, look, you're really the team's best chance for a top ten, maybe top five. And I, I need you to focus, like, everything on this. The team's going to be bigger and better next year. And... You know, like, this would be really good for you. Code word for, like, if you want to stay on the team, you're going to have to do this, right? Why didn't you just say that? I'm, I'm, I have to, this is a learning process. <laughs> this is a learning process. But you should have learned this already. I didn't. This is what I I've didn't. been trying to tell you I for didn't. 20 years. Dean, I get emails now asking whether or not people can stay on the team, and I've sent those emails of, like, hey, man, do, I, have, do I have a You should send an email. No. Call them. Listen. Listen. Before burying me, let me explain myself. <laughs> so you get emails of like, hey man, do you think there's a spot for me? Uh, let me know, etc. And anytime I had sent that email, and I've, I would send one practically every year of my career. I would like, why can't you just tell me? Yeah. Just tell me. And then the reason people can't tell you, Dean, is because I don't know. But that's say that. See, I think that's... And, but it sounds... And in ways you do, but it also sounds like you want to have this illusion that you have some kind of control and... See, but don't do that. See, that I've learned this from... Okay? Yeah. Back to women's racing. Do it. They would do that. Instead of just being... And that's why I feel like some of the success I've had coaching women is not worrying about their feelings. Just being honest with them. Where everyone else is like, oh, they're a woman, or they're this way. It's the same thing with the professional. Would you have rather said, listen, Mike, it's really, it's coming down to this race, whether you're going to be on the team next year. Because yeah. I'm in between these two things, and this is my decision process. I think if you go through life and you're just honest with these people, hey, they may hate you at the time. You can't and, fuck with the truth, but, though. But that's okay. And you could be wrong. And you could say that. You could say, I'm going to go this direction, and I could be wrong. You, there, there are some good books on this. Yeah. Is it, there's a book, um, Bill Walsh. Yeah. He's the guy, you know, obviously the San Francisco 49ers won all the Super Bowls and everything else. But he documented everything he did. So he documented in this book that all, there's only, I don't know, 50 of these books out there. Because they are out of print, or maybe there's more than that. But... There's a small number of books, and only the NFL football coaches have these. And he documented that, okay, how do I identify if one of the guys has a drug problem? How do I identify this zone read? How do I identify all these? And he wrote it all down, and it's, just, it's like a mastermind of someone who just put it out on paper. And it was all, there's all these things so that are, it. be honest, be straightforward with them, you know, where you made mistakes, admit your mistakes, go forward. Let's do it on a podcast. Let's call a couple of Rogers and say they don't have contracts. <laughs> you, hey, now, this is the job you chose. Yeah. I didn't choose this job. <laughs> but 
if, if it's one of my athletes, I'll call them and say they didn't work hard enough today. We can call one of my athletes right now. And, no, we could. I, I would all be for calling Mara Abbott or... How's Mara doing? Awesome. Yeah? So she won the Giro again? Yeah. And no, she's no. good. That's good. But, no, see, I... but if I call... Let's, let's do this. I actually got this now that we're at home. This is what I got from Mara as her thank you for... See, this is what you don't get from men when they win races. It's you true. Thank you. But the women put together a little this collage. This is like a very nice collage of framed. my quotes. <laughs> to her. Oh, with your quotes. All right. We just ride the bike. That's what we do. See, they're trying to make it complicated. Have you ever seen that guy? Um, he's a minor league baseball um, manager, and he comes in. Wally Back Bachman. Backman. I know the name. Everyone should search. There's two things that should come out of this podcast between you and I. These are the only two. Okay. The rest of it is just kind of talk. Yeah. Wally Bachman of How to Be a Champion. Okay. okay, and he's he comes in and talks to his team after. This is everything I always want to say, and it's really crass. I don't do it quite like that, but these are everything that you have to say to achieve anything in life. Wally Bachman talking to his team after they lose. So that's one in the Turtle Man. Turtle Man. Do you know the Turtle Man? So I met this guy at a NASCAR race because... One of my athletes, the NASCAR guy, he saw this guy and he's like, no way. I'm bringing this guy to a race. He is awesome. He just goes out and hunts turtles in the south. And then I don't know if he sells them or what he does with these turtles. You got a YouTube turtle man. Okay. And this guy, I met him. And then he said, hey, you know you're on YouTube. And he's like, yeah, what's YouTube? And he's like, well, they have videos of you. You did an interview where you were out there hunting turtles and showing people how to catch turtles in the swamp. He's like, oh. He goes, well, have you watched it? He goes, why would I watch it? I gave it. He goes, I was there, live and in person. <laughs> I don't need to watch it. That's all you need to know. Of uh, this Turtle Man and Wally Bachman. I'll tell you guys something right fucking now. It's not easy to be a fucking champion, all right? It's the hardest fucking thing there is to do. And the only way you can be a fucking champion is if you work your fucking ass off. I had two motherfuckers in game one in a starting lineup. Two guys that took fucking batting practice, and that's it. You're playing a fucking team that's gonna fucking kick the shit out of you if you don't work. Two fucking guys. Are you guys that fucking good? You're not, I'll tell you that right the fuck now. You're not that fucking good. If you don't work for it, you can't get it. I'm sick and fucking tired of it. You guys will fucking, everybody will be here tomorrow at one o'clock for batting practice. You'll fucking hit. Pitchers, Jesus fucking Christ. 1-0, fucking one You got the fucking hitters and fastball counts all day long. Fucking wise up. Don't be fucking scared. Because it looks like you're a bunch of cunts out there the way you're throwing. It's bullshit. It's a fucking team effort. Do it. Get together and be a fucking team. Pick each other up. For God's sakes, not to take fucking batting practice against a fucking team you're going to have to play in the championships. Well, they've got the fucking momentum. If you work for it, you can beat them.
but you gotta work for it. If you don't work, you're throwing the whole fucking year away. The last fucking week, two of the guys that fucking hit, fucking 39-year-old Desi Wilson, playing the fucking big leagues. You other motherfuckers haven't played in the big leagues. He's 30 fucking nine and he's working still. Kick it in the fucking ass. Buddy, go ahead and say what the fuck you want to say. But how do you... I go in personally and say, okay, here's what your personal expectation... You, Mike, I told you you need to do it. We all knew that that was the race and you couldn't do it. Yeah. So is that because tactically you didn't suffer enough to get up there? A lot of people that when I read on the internet say you didn't have the power to get up there, so there's a whole power, or you had all these excuses where you didn't train right, you didn't eat enough, you were sick, you didn't do this to get up there. But in the end, none of that matters, because Mike, you had to make the front group, and you make the front group by being tough, and being smart, and getting up there, so you had to do it. So yeah. from now on, if you don't do that, none of the rest is gonna matter, right? Yeah, 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 none yeah. of it, you might as well kind of you're, you're going to get the results that you deserve from now on because you weren't willing to suffer or do what you needed to do to make that group. So if that's where we're at as a whole, each individual, I would challenge you, I can say the exact same thing because it was the exact same circumstance. Normally, you have the guy who works, you have the guy who's going to sprint, you, you have all these different circumstances. But in this case, I don't have any of that. I have the exact same message for all of you. And you didn't do it. So now we've got to figure out how you're either going to... There's no training. There's no drinking. There's no any of these other obstacles or excuses. You just weren't tough enough. You didn't do it, which is okay. But now we're going to have to do it. And that, that's the way I would have done it. I, I wouldn't have been so drama. And then I would have stayed in there eye to eye and say, now... I just have no, But <laughs> here's the thing, Dean, is you get to a point, and I, I noticed this, where... Um, you know, because when I was a writer and I had a really bad day, yep. uh, how the director can't make eye contact with you. And well, I, that's a problem. And, dude, it's been on every team I've ever been on. Really? Every team I've ever been on, they can't make eye contact. And I've always thought, like, oh, that that sucks, you know? But then huh. you become a director and the guy's bomb and you can't make eye contact. And I think before where I... I understood it as like they were really angry or, you know, like, uh, whatever. But now I realize that you get, I think it's that you come to this position where you, you're the source of knowledge. You're trying to be the source of knowledge and wisdom and, and calmness. And you have none of that for them right now. Right. You know, like you realize that like, I have no, nothing to say to you, not because I'm, I hate you or I don't like you, but because you just weren't good enough today. And well, I don't want to necessarily say that. Yeah, but sometimes you can't. And here's another thing. When someone says to you personally something that really is hurtful and you, everyone says, well, they can't say to me or judge me any harder than I'm going to judge myself. Bullshit. <laughs> because when someone says it because you're going to you, be fair to yourself to some extent yeah because yeah. when someone does it and then you feel that much sometimes you get worse results from that and sometimes you get better results there's always been coaches that no one liked but they got the best out of people or vice versa sure. I mean but you got to figure that out but one of the directors of the teams told me once that he likes to have two directors that are really distant 
from when they're their careers because they don't care about any of the cyclists. You have to suffer. Yeah, that's what your them. job yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care, and that's it. And then you have two directors. This is on a pro tour team that have only been retired for a year or two because they can commiserate. I know I was just in that race last year, and they're it probably colleagues and, at some level. Exactly, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to have both. You have to have the guy who doesn't care and expects you, and is not not the father figure, but the god figure. That's like you do this, so we're gonna fire your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have the other guy that's putting his arm around you, and you need both of that. It's a mom and dad complex. No, I've so. definitely noticed the need to distance. Like, like the week before Alberta, I would go have dinner with the guys, yeah. ride with the guys, yeah. do whatever, and then I, I, I saw as soon as Alberta's like the guys would say like, "All right, we're gonna go eat," and I'm like, "I'll stay up here for a while." Yeah. Well, pretty soon, then you start to commiserate with their failures and understand them too well instead of the discipline and the responsibility right. to succeed. And everyone takes advantage of that in life. And I think that's a downfall of coaching in cycling. Even though it's a team sport, it's still somewhat individual. So I think a lot of our coaches were individual athletes and they make that mistake. Whereas in team sports, which I've seen it in the other sports I work with, they don't. They have to deal with so many personalities. They don't get caught up in that, yeah. and so they don't commiserate with the athletes so much. They're like, "This, hey, I'm not the one who wants to win the medal. You do. Yeah. So you do it. And here's what you need to do to do that. And I'm going to help you. And I'm not going to let you off with some type of. I didn't make the front group today. Sorry, I just didn't feel good. No, that's yeah. not the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> here's something about cycling. Is it? It does become so hard sometimes that you don't coach anymore. And then so then it's like, well, maybe you didn't eat right. Maybe your aerodynamics, maybe. So you start to think that way to pretty soon a lot of the coaches and trainers well, and all that that I've dealt with. Well, you're with, protecting their ego. Right. You're thinking this way. So pretty soon it's always an excuse-ridden yeah. thing that, okay, now we're going to go back to work and do it. Whereas the best guys are normally really tough, so you're not hurting yeah. that end of it but the guys who maybe never get there that are equally talented could have been or through sickness setback and if you look at a lot of well firm's a good example right i mean if he would have broken he would never be here from his failures and sickness and sure. injuries and all that kind of which is most of the case with the women they're all to get there they had all these problems they virtually no one has a perfect road to the top but it's funny everyone looks at this side of sport and they're like oh those guys they don't know what they're doing and they must they got success with it and i'm not saying bobby knight or sure, wally sure. bachman is the way to do it but you can learn a lot by holding people accountable and how so when you go into your room if you would have done that and then the next day they would have won a race well maybe it was the right thing to do right even if logically or intellectually you think oh that can't be that's right so yeah, yeah. It, exactly and that's the thing is people look at that and intellectually they say that's meat-headed or that's so unintelligent you can't motivate anyone like that and yeah. those guys or if someone listens to you saying that they're dumb yeah. they're you well if those guys are idiot jocks then yeah i guess you got to yell at them but us in cycling, we're intellectually superior, and sure. no one yelling at me is ever going to get any results. Sure, sure. So I don't. I mean, I I think that's a mistake on both accounts. Yeah, it's hard to communicate 
to somebody and ha- because it sounds so cl- like you want to stay away from cliches because okay cliches are there for a reason but you don't want somebody to tune you out in the first third of the sentence because they're like I know exactly where this sentence is going so you try to say things in a unique enough manner that they're paying attention the whole time well I did uh, some consulting with a football team and I said listen that was one of my critiques with the coaches is I don't know if yelling at them does this and does that and so on and here's some strategies here's some different things with the way you do work and he said he looked at me and he's like yeah I used to think just like you Mm -hmm. until I realized these guys they've been yelled at since they were young doesn't make it right or wrong not my place to judge but they don't respect you or listen to you until you until you're going crazy well they're like in a violent fucking sport well it's all different sports too but yes it's a it's a number of you know stick and ball sports where this I went to here's my last story I went to the state cross country meet this it's right down here by my house I just walked down there and I said to myself after coming back so this is 2A 3A 4A and 5A state men's and women's high school cross country that I said thank God I deal in professional sports not more than two days before that I was in an arena in hockey where they had 16,000 people for a game yeah and all the media and everything that goes with it and I would never talk to one of the athletes like that that gets paid millions of dollars as the parents and coaches talk to the athletes in 3A women's High school across country. I just, it was so bad that, and I don't know how they could emote. Yeah, mean, degrading. Some of the parents were like, "Well, we did this last year, and then this year, I don't think the coach knows what he's doing." I mean, it was so negative and so. They obviously don't have the resources, but even the resources aside, they, it was so negative and terrible coaching and not disciplined as far as x y and z here's what we're going to try to do and then um i really need to get the best out of you mike today or not talking to you at all because i don't want to make you nervous but they you could tell that they changed all their coaching because it was a state meet and the parents were all there and so they were all stressed out and it, it just led to whether it led to um a great performance by one of the athletes and terrible performance by some of the others it was just such a negative scene that we don't do that in professional sports. You'd come in there and go, listen, I expected more well, it of you guys. becomes for us. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And boy, it was terrible. I was like, man, I couldn't it. coach in high school. Because yeah. I'd be like, listen, to the parent, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, so you get the hell this out is, of here. Yeah, you're yeah. hurting all of us yeah. by even being around, standing here and looking well, I think, at it. I think those people try to show how much they care by being... Like, I think the more intense they are, they feel like this is, look how much I care. But it was so mismanaged and so derogatory yeah. uh, and just I went to the failure-oriented. Like, oh, yeah. so I guess we're going to lose again today. Or instead Oof. of, you get in here and you suffer and I'm with you and I love you. Yeah, Everything yeah. will be fine from there. If just, you su- just promise me you're going to suffer. Yeah, just go as hard as you can. That's all you got to do today. Yeah. And that's all we do in sports. And I'll try to make sure I trained you correctly. I had the drink story. But in the end, it's the same thing. It's weird in coaching, right? 
like I said before, I'm riding the coattails of the results of people I never even were. I wasn't there on the climb. I wasn't racing my bike. And somehow I need to get that personal decision of you did it. You want the medal. And so you go as hard as you can. And then we'll try to figure out from there and go to the next step. And a lot of it's science and a lot of it's personal determination. And you can't separate the two. Okay, have a good day, girls. You're not getting paid a million dollars. This is it. Okay, your wife's going to leave you because you lost all your money or you have a bad relationship or you have two kids at home and you're going to move and there's $5 million on the line and you got injured or you tore your ACL. There's none of that. And there's 10 times more pressure. Yeah. That's what I saw. Huh. It was bad. I was like, holy crap. I couldn't coach these kids. The kids I could coach. The parents and the other coaches, I couldn't. It'd be good to have you do it just to see how many people you threw out. Oh, man. And the kid, you could tell that 99% of the kids were awesome. Right. It was, you could tell that they were trying as hard as they could. They didn't know what to think. They'd Maybe uh, most of the coaches or parents didn't have the experience. or, But I just would never... I wouldn't have treated someone who was going for a gold medal. I think they thought it was a gold medal in the Olympics. And you would never do that if someone was going for a gold medal in the Olympics. You would remember, never act like that. I remember doing national championships, like junior national championships, shit nobody cares about. And I remember thinking I was going to puke on the yeah, line. of course. Just shaking. I mean, yeah, it's it was so weird. So anyways, that's my latest story. And I try to go to all those things so I learn or... You ride your bike much more? Yeah, some. Some. Yeah, I go in periods. I mean, you're right next to the mountain bike trail. Yeah, I go up there. Yeah. I've been doing that hike around the incline on the backside, but I keep meeting up with this bear back there. So, oh, really? Yeah. Sure. So I've kind of, I was waiting for winter. I'm going, uh, I've translated my competitiveness on the bike directly into the incline. What's your time? I'm at 19... It's 40 right now. So I can't believe that guy ever did 1640 or whatever. Here's this great story. Haga and I, Chad Haga and I, he lives in town. We start doing the incline. We go, we get the Strava record. Yeah. So we're like, that's the first thing we did. We, yeah. we fight each other out yeah. over Strava. And then um, we start Googling, well, what's the fastest time ever? Yeah. This guy's name comes up, this triathlete. Yeah. Like 1720, right? I thought it was 1640, but go ahead. Something like yeah, this, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, it's a Gazette yeah, article. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And at the very end, he has a quote. And it says, the great thing about the incline is there's no way to cheat it. I'm not joking. Two days later, he tested positive for Ebo. Yeah. I'd heard, I mean, just rumors about him. Yeah. It made me so happy. Not because of that, but... I, I kind but of... But what's his... Matt Carpenter did it in the 17s, right? You know, I think all That's those times... Dude, yeah, yeah. I've seen him go up that because I used to do it all the time. Well, the thing is, like, the Strava time now is at, like, uh, I think it's like at 1840. Really? So that's my thing now. Like, I'm. Who I'm, did an 1840? I don't know these guys. I don't know these guys' names. I had Mara go do it once. Let's see. Yeah. She's in the 21s. Something like that. I've but been, I'd like to see I haven't she been, could I haven't been doing it on up. Strava yet because, yeah. like, if I go beat it, if I beat Haga by, like, 10 seconds, yeah. Haga's going to go out and try to. Like, so I can't yeah. beat Haga until I'm, like, 
I don't want to post the time until I'm so well clear of him. Do you want me to start coaching you right now? For the incline? You're overthinking this. Just go up the thing as hard as you can. All right. And start easy at the bottom. And stop thinking about another person. It's double step. The it's race about, is... It's all about double step. Hey, the race is long and it's always with yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're thinking about this other guy and what he's going to do and what you're going to... Stop. I just... Look. Stop. Look, just race the Hear bike. Hear me out. Just race the bike. <laughs> See, you can tell I've had these conversations before. Many I just don't want to get in a battle with Hog. I want to put him under. I want to I want to put pose the time so well clear of his that he's gonna be like, well I can't do that. So what does that have to do with him? It's his time. It has everything to do with Come on.